Hey everyone, it's Roger Abel, back with another edition of the Behind the Well Show. I've got Elias Randall in here with me today. How you doing, Elias? Uh, I'm doing good. Good. Super Bowl Sunday was yesterday, so a little sluggish today, but uh, Tom Brady's he's the GOAT now. Greatest no of all arguing. time. It'll be funny to see because we put out on Friday the Super Bowl indicator, and you know I ended that show talking about you know if Tom Brady wins and the Buccaneers, that may be good for markets. So it'll be good to see if this indicator was correct or not. Um, we obviously don't predict or do anything like that, but I think it'll be fun to see if the indicator works out this year. I hope it does. I'm looking for a nice nice year in the market. Um, be nice to see another another good one. What do you think? Yeah. Well, the la- so the last time the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, the following 12 months after that was the uh, – best market returns for any Super Bowl champion. So hopefully history repeats itself and everyone has a great year. I'm all for it. So, you know, the the, the news the last couple of weeks is GameStop, and uh, I feel like it's coming to an end a little bit. Okay, so, yeah, it seems like this whole GameStop situation, the dust is kind of settling and it's not as exciting. Um, so now we're starting to see kind of how everything played out. So we dove in, started doing some research, and one of the first things we were looking at and talking about, okay, so Robinhood, their, one of their marketing things or what they offer to consumers is commission-free trading. So how does Robinhood actually make money? I, I think that's a good question. It goes back to the first rule, if you can't figure out how they're getting paid, you're probably the product. You right. Know, the, yeah. the that's whole, what they say in technology, right? Yeah. The whole idea that there's a free launch, it doesn't exist. If someone tells you they're doing it for free, somehow, some way they're being compensated because most people, you know, aren't on a pro bono uh, commission schedule or they're not in to do it for free. So let's talk about how Robin Hood does it. And and they make their money in a couple of ways. They, they become um, basically a data aggregator. Right. So if you think about what's happening with Robin, they have all these people making these trades and what they end up doing is actually selling that data and those that trade flow to companies like Citadel, which coincidentally enough is the company that all the Reddit user boards, those companies are who they thought they were going after. Right. So this really kind of fueled the fire, right, as to kind of like the whole like David versus Goliath thing that was going on and uh so, you know, because when GameStop, they halted trading on GameStop, well, then everyone found out, well, Citadel is one of their biggest, the, their biggest customer. Yeah, the people that are using Reddit and, and trading through Robinhood, they failed to read the fine print, right? right. All they saw was commission-free trading and this trading app that was fun to use, almost like a video game, right? They, I mean, they literally are making it like a video game to trade and they're really onboarding some of the most you know unsophisticated investors out there i mean i'm not saying i am i'm saying they're they're less sophisticated than the others and we know what they are by a couple of reasons right right so not being critical it's kind of just stating just is what it is happened right i mean i've watched the interviews with people i put 300 dollars in well no professional investor 
puts $300 in. But well, what actually happens is it becomes more lucrative because these people aren't price sensitive about the order execution. So when, when a Robinhood sends these trades off to like a Citadel or some other major hedge fund or market maker, right, is what they're called, um, they're less price sensitive, meaning they maybe aren't getting as good of pricing terms on that stock and there's bigger margins to be made. Um, and you can actually see it. So there are some, there are some data release. So it's not just Robinhood that pays these fees. It's Schwab, TD Ameritrade, all the big brokerage houses. Correct. Robinhood paid like 10 times more than the next closest competitor, which just goes to show the profit margins that they're making or that Citadel's making on those transactions. So the thought that, you know, this Reddit board and this these Main Street investors are going to bring down Wall Street, they don't have the firepower to do it. They right. Wall Street is backed by hedge funds, banks, major institutions. The Reddit board of people taking 300, 500, 1000 dollars just is not going to work. Yeah, right. And I so I had of course I had a friend, a couple friends call me and ask like whatever 2 weeks ago now when this was really really hot um well and three hedge funds had already lost billions of dollars so and i don't i don't do speculative trading but i just said i would think since three hedge funds have already lost billions of dollars like it might be you might be getting to the party a little bit late i feel like at that point i felt like maybe the damage was done um but so it is kind of still the ran a short squeeze against these positions um, it was incredible, but I think I think Wall Street still won. Uh, Wall Street still made a lot of money, and then kind of as you know, and protected themselves a little bit too. Well, so, I yeah. think a, a good point of that is I ran by an article, um, and it talks about a company called Silver Lake. Um, Silver Lake, it's a hedge fund, Silicon Valley, seventy billion dollar fund. At the time, they were holding nearly $600 million of unsecured convertible notes, which are basically convertible bonds, can convert those into stock. For AMCs, that's movie theaters. I mean, movie theaters right now, are they were a poor investment before coronavirus. But after this, I mean, how many people are really going to the movie theater? Long story short, th right. this Reddit board thought they were going to squeeze out the hedge funds, you know, they did the same thing on AMC as they did to GameStop. Well, guess what happened? Silver Lake was able to convert all of this worthless debt, $600 million, and turn it into a $113 million profit. Right. So, so you think about it. They got a huge, the, they're a big winner in this situation. They were actually the ones selling. They're the ones selling the stock to right. the Reddit, the Reddit, you know, followers or the people on Wall Street bets for the high dollar. They were getting out at that point. They made out on this deal. So the thought that they're going to game Wall Street, just not going to work. Yeah. Well, and that's something we talk about a lot. It's just as far as like, what, so people, the hedge fund managers, professional money managers, I mean, that's what they do full time. So like to really think that you're going to be smarter than them and be able to outlast them, it's like, it's kind of foolish. Now, when this was first happening and the news came out about this big short squeeze, it was exciting, right? But I don't feel like it's really realistic or something that, like, this isn't going to keep happening. Um, I guess short squeezes will always happen because they always have. But, um, you know, I don't know if, I feel like it was the perfect storm of circumstances for this. So I just, 
I'd kind of be surprised if it did happen again. Yeah, and I think some other things came to light that I, that I found out about last week that I think were really interesting. One of the orchestrators of the GameStop run-up uh, ran a YouTube um, channel called Roaring Kitty. Okay, and, and everybody kind of thought that they didn't really know who orchestrated this, but this I'm not going to use his name because I don't want to give him any publicity. But it turns out that in 2019-20, he was actually a registered representative for Mass Mutual. So he was actually a rep running a YouTube channel touting GameStop, and he's kind of the one that set this all off. And I think the thought in the public was that these are just everyday people, you know, just running this up and kind of creating this buzz about GameStop, he's now under investigation. I have a feeling he's in some pretty big trouble. Yeah, because he wouldn't be considered just a, like just a retail investor. He's a professional with licenses. He knows what he's doing, knows what he's getting into. He knows exactly what he's getting into. And, and I think what's really sad about everything that's happened and what I think our listeners should be taking away from this is we, we've gotten to this environment where people believe the way to actually get rich, become a millionaire, and make it is through one stock, one Bitcoin, one individual security, which is completely against the way that you actually do this. The way I read a book, and we're going to actually review this book and talk about it because I think it's a great book, but I read a book called The Latte Factor by David Bach. And in there, he has a key phrase that says, you become rich $1 at a time. It's not investing $1 and turning it into a million. It's saving money for a long period of time and doing all the things that we talk with people about, right? Do your 401k, get your match, put money into your account, regardless of what's happening in the market, make it automatic. It doesn't have to be, you know, the snazziest thing, just make it boring and repeatable and automatic and good things happen over a long period of time. Yeah. Well, and that's what I, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about today because through this reading, so I think Robinhood opened something like 600,000 accounts in a single day when this was going on. So to me, I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. People are excited about um, investing and you know, maybe this certain situation isn't really what they should be getting excited about. Um, but is there any other silver linings? Like a lot of people were interested and I hope no one lost a lot of money, but is there any value to maybe someone who did, they put $300 in and lost it? Like, is there a lesson that they could learn or is there any value to doing that? I think there's a silver lining to everything that happened with GameStop. And, and that is a couple of things. You know, we're obviously, I'm happy for the people that made money even though there's a lot of people and many traders actually lost money in this thing. I hope nobody actually lost like a life savings, right? They didn't put all their money into this thing and watch it go to zero. I'm sure people did. In fact, I was listening to a Dave Ramsey. Um, I was watching a Dave Ramsey podcast the other day or, or clip on YouTube, I think it was. And uh, someone called in and said, hey, you know, we have a $300,000 loss like investment loss, and Dave started prying. The husband decided to start day trading and lost three hundred thousand. He had an entire inheritance, and he lost three hundred thousand dollars day trading. He quit his job to do it because things were so good. And I and I hope that that didn't happen to people. But people should be aware that most day traders lose money and will lose money. And I think an important thing to remember is most asset managers, hedge funds 
individual investors don't outperform the broad index. Right. Yeah, actually, that kind of brings up a funny story. I Because I had a friend who, of course, asked me about GameStop. Should I do it? I said, it's probably too late. But he did it anyway, right, because of the excitement. So I think total he had $300. And he actually said this to me. And now the price has come down to like 50-some dollars per share. So he's almost lost his initial investment. Um, and he goes, you know, I feel foolish because one, that $300, even if like GameStop would have went to a thousand, I wouldn't have made enough money to change my life anyway. So really he's like, all I did was just waste 300 bucks. Cause I got like a little bit greedy about this trade. Yeah. I mean, so he lost it. He got a learning experience. So if we look at it, you know, in the learning fashion. Um, you know, one thing that came to mind is that trade would never have been done had he had a broker. So there's good thing, good and bad there, right? Right. One, the bad is he wouldn't have ever made a trade. He wouldn't have become engaged in the process of the markets because I'm not going to call it investing. He did not do investing. What, what he did right there was purely gambling and speculation. Yeah, right. But the bad thing, is, if he would have had a broker – that trade never would have happened. And not because the broker didn't want it to happen, but it would have been cost prohibitive. On a $300 trade, even if you pay, go to an E-Trade or one of the other platforms outside of Robin, you pay $9.95 to make the trade. Well, that's 3%. Well, that's not really that great of a deal. You've got to pay 3% in and then 3% out to buy and sell the trade. So those small dollar amounts, I think is great that they're engaging, but at the end of the day, it's not teaching people what I call really, really good behavior. Right, right. So then the next kind of another question I think we are getting is, well, okay, so where can, at least I got this question, um, where, where can I do some research so I can start trading? And I actually had a conversation with someone about the, like the perf- the percentage of, professional money managers that actually beat the index. And I think like on any given year, the ballpark's kind of like in 15%, it can fluctuate. And we actually found an article um, for 2019, 89% of professional money managers did not beat the index or beat the S&P 500 um, for the year of 2019. So kind of my point to him, and I want to get your thoughts on this, was, I mean, yeah, you can go out and do research and all this, but if almost in 2019, 90% of professionals weren't able to outperform just the broad index, why do you think that you'll be able to do it on any sort of consistent basis? You won't be able to. I think it's important for people to understand what an active money manager is, right? It's where you have some type of a manager, and then a bunch of analysts underneath it, underneath the layers, researching all day what individual stocks to buy and sell. Their job all day is to research individual stocks to buy and sell. Yeah. They're highly trained, they're highly skilled, highly educated. It doesn't mean that they're always right, okay? But the thought that an individual believes they can go out and do this better than them always shocks me. Yeah, because you're one, you have a portfolio manager and then analysts under that person. So even if they just have, they could have one portfolio manager and one analyst, well, that's still, they have two people working on it to your one. And most 
have more than that. And right? what's your education level and what's your understanding of this? Because if your education level is Wall Street bets, I'm not saying it's bad. What I'm saying is it's not better than an analyst or uh, you know, some type of a fund manager most of the time. There are people on that board that are highly skilled, I'm sure. Yeah. But most aren't. Um, so I think it's important. And I'm not saying active management is bad at all, right? Because there are people out there that have shown the ability to outperform an index. Bill Miller ran a great fund for a number of years, showed a propensity to be able to outperform the index. But only about 20% of those funds can do it, 15 to 20%. So back in 2008, um, Warren Buffett actually made a million dollar bet um, to a hedge fund and said they wouldn't be able to beat the market over a period of time. Okay. In year 2016, the hedge funds had returned 22% on average, while the S&P had returned 85.4, almost four times as much return. So guess who won the bet? Yeah, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett won that. And remember, the hedge funds are charging the highest fees, supposed to be the smartest people out there, and they did 25% of what the S&P 500 did. So I think the whole idea that when I talk to people about, you know, should I be buying individual stocks, the answer for most people is no. And I use this litmus test for myself. If I'm going to buy an individual stock, why am I buying it? Okay. Number okay. one, if I buy one, it's because I use it or I like it. Typically, it's because I use it. If right? you're going to buy stock in the company, I the company use, that you're using, they're using, yep. and I go into that situation not expecting to make money. I'm owning it because I use it, and I like to own it. The primary portfolio for most people should be a diversified portfolio of mutual fund stocks (ETFs) that meet a financial objective long term down the road. It shouldn't be predicated on one investment, and we've used this example a lot. If you're saving enough for retirement and you're on track of all your retirement goals and you have an extra $2,000 or 5,000 or 10 or whatever that number and you want to buy individual stocks, fine. Just make sure it's not the primary driver to get you where you want to go. Yeah, because your primary wealth building tools are going to be your systematic savings plan and buying good mutual funds or good ETFs, whatever it is, and you're in your portfolio and then sticking to that plan, right? Absolutely. And what we talk about, you hit on three primary things, but the absolute greatest wealth driver is compound interest. Yeah. If you think about compound interest in saving for a long period of time, it's amazing what it can do. And it takes me back to the David Bach book. I just read The Latte Factor. We're going to go over it again, but he breaks out this chart for this gal. He's kind of mentoring in it. And shows her that if you save $100 a day, it grows to X over 30 years. And she's blown away. She's like, I could be a millionaire? He's like, you could be a millionaire. And she had no idea that she could get there, which most people don't. So it goes back to getting wealthy, becoming wealthy, has more to do with saving $1 at a time than it does investing $2 into a stock and hoping it goes up. Now, I once had a, had a person tell me, client of mine said, Hey, you're going to make me rich. I said, no, you're gonna make yourself rich. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, you have $2,000. This is a long time ago. He goes, well, you have $2,000 invested. You're not you're, more than likely. You're never getting rich on two grand. You're going to okay. get rich. It was a friend of mine. Right. Right. I said, you're going to get rich saving money for a really long period of time out of every single paycheck you have. That's how you'll get rich. It's not going to be because of me. 
It's going to be because of your habits and your propensity to save money that you'll become rich. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed in this situation, you know, so we, you know, we think of ourselves, we're offering good, sound um, financial news, financial commentary. Um, so I've noticed, especially because I've been following the GameStop. Well, now, like when I watch YouTube, I'm getting suggestions to uh, a guy that can teach me how to day trade and make money um, or like uh, like some sort of subscription where you can learn how to to trade and make money. And one of my, I guess, thoughts and I thought maybe something we should mention is should really be kind of <clears throat> be cautious towards some of those things. And and just to kind of wrap up what we're talking about, if if this like in 2019, if 15 to 20 percent of professional money managers beat the index on a given year, you know, the person on the Wall Street bets who tells you they can teach you how to make money day trading, uh, someone making a YouTube video about it. A lot of these people, they probably can't really teach you how to make money trading and they're probably making money on just selling some sort of system. Well, if they were so good at doing it, why would they need to sell it to you? Right. That's I mean, a good question. Think always ask yourself this when somebody is trying to teach you how to do something new for a subscription. If you were good at it, why would you tell me? Because arguably the more people that pile in, so right, the more people that pile in, the harder it gets to make money. So if it was so great, why would they tell you? I also think it's a really good thing to think about where you're getting your information from. Right? Yeah. If you're getting your information from YouTube, how vetted is that? I'm not saying it's bad. Just be cautious of where you're getting it. Are these people licensed, or is it just somebody out there giving their opinion because you can just give your opinion? You know, two, is it from your cousin Eddie? You know, at the Valentine's Day luncheon, give you the hot <laughs> stop. I mean, I have people that call me up. Hey, one of my clients told me I should look at this. I'm like, okay, well, why? Well, you read somewhere that it's going to be the next hot. Well, maybe, but it doesn't really have anything to do with your success. Um, so, we've talked about media filters. This is a great time to have a media filter. If you want to be entertained by what's going on, kind of like what we're doing here, entertain people. But at the end of the day, it, this app should have zero bearing on your financial plan and where you're going for retirement. It should purely be entertainment value. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, just look at this last year we had coronavirus and then GameStop. And these were two situations where, I kept thinking, you know, it's the people who just ignore the noise, stick to their financial plan over the long term, you're going to be successful. So Elias, I mentioned that I'd been seeing a propensity or pattern of people believing that they had to buy in. They don't want to miss out. You know, they have to get this stock because it's the thing that can make them retire and all these different things. And I started thinking about football. I like to make parallels between football and investing. People relate to football and I got a message from um, a client of mine and I said, and he lives in New Orleans and he goes, Hey, um, I sent a message I said, who are you rooting for tonight? Kansas city with a question mark, because um, if you, if you know anything about football, New Orleans and Tampa, it's like arch rivals. So I, I knew there was probably no way he was rooting for Tampa and he sends back, he goes, but I hedge, I go, Oh, what'd you do? <laughs> He goes, I flew to New Jersey to buy a rookie, a Tom Brady rookie card. So even if my team didn't win, I'm going to make out. And this is expensive. This card's 
expensive north of fifty thousand dollar card. Tom, <clears throat> the Tom, Tom Brady, Brady card. Rookie card. This this card is a fifty thousand dollar card. He flew to flew to go get this card. And I started thinking about it after Tom Brady won last night. I started thinking. I go, you know, Tom Brady, when he entered the NFL, his goal wasn't to just get lucky and become the greatest of all time. He became the greatest of all time one day at a time, one practice at a time, a little bit of effort over a really long period of time, 20 plus years. And that's how he's become the greatest of all time. And I think many people could call themselves the greatest of all time in investing if they took exactly the same philosophy. My goal is to go out here and get on the, you know, to make the team, starts putting some money in. Yep. And next it's to get the starting role. Maybe it's to get 250,000 saved. Now I got the starting job. You know, when I hit a million now, you know, I'm on the all pro team. And if I get to 2 million, I'm in the hall of fame. If they think about it in that, the career of Tom Brady, they thought about it in that aspect, how hard he's worked, how much time he's put in, how much effort it's taken to get where he is today. Most people be wildly successful, but there's no shortcuts to greatness. Right. So Tom Brady over 21 years has built his career and become the greatest. And, you know, like you're saying, if he would have just won one Super Bowl his first year that he played and then maybe had a career ending injury or never played in the NFL again, no one would talk about him being the greatest because you don't you can't accomplish anything like that in a single football season or a single game. Um, so, you know, just like, you know, our show is about investing. And that's a great analogy because just like Tom Brady's career, if you really want to be great, it takes, you know, sticking to a plan and a process over the long term. It's never going to be like you're not going to buy a, a stock of, or a share of GameStop because you read a Wall Street bets thread and, you know, and become super, super rich doing that. More than likely, a few people right. will. Yes. But if you yep. think about it, if we turn it into like the reality of the long term investor, Think about the S&P 500 rolling periods of time. I'm going to throw out five statistics, and this is why if you can look at things for over 20 years or 10 years and have this long-term vision, you can become the greatest investor of all time. Over a daily period, 56% of the time, the S&P 500 is positive, right? So that that's like Tom Better. Brady playing one year. We don't know. Maybe, yeah. boom, maybe he wins one. Maybe he you know goes 0-15. Who knows? Over a one-year period of time, the S&P 500 is positive 75% of the time. Over five years, it's 88% of the time. Over 10 years, it's 95%. And over a 20-year 20 20 period of time, the S&P has been uh, positive 100% of the time. So what this means for most investors is just forget all of the noise and get started on a long-term financial plan with a systematic savings that's automatic, happens every single month on a regular basis, and that's your ticket to success. And for people listening, if they don't have this, go to our website, btwellshow.com. There's a link there to get a plan. There's a link to schedule a, schedule a consultation with uh, someone at BT Well Show, and we'd be more than happy to kind of help you get on the right, the right track to retirement and you becoming the greatest investor of all time. Yeah, so maybe the right question instead of, oh, is GameStop a good idea for me? Um, you know, maybe the right question is just how do I win in investing? And you just did a really good job touching on that. Yeah, I mean, you win by sticking it out, not being emotional, having a media filter, automatic investment and consistency is how you win. 
Um, so I want to thank everybody for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and hit the like button. Um, till next time, I'm sure I'll be here with Elias. Uh, look forward to having everybody enjoy the show. And if you have any questions, especially about movies that Elias has not watched, send them, please. Bring them on. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.